As I heard that text, as I read that text this week about the temptation of Jesus, and it's the first week of Lent, uh, which for a Lutheran pastor, this, this is it, right? This is our season. Here we go. And I was thinking about uh, what does the temptation of Jesus feel like as I read that this, this year. And it made me remember a movie from a while ago, but I know The Matrix came out in 1999, but since they released a new Matrix movie last year called Resurrections, I feel like I can talk about it and still seem pretty hip, pretty with it. Because 44-year-old Lutheran pastors like me are pretty well known for being hip and stuff. So even 23 years after the original came out, one scene endures as a metaphor for whether we should go this way or we should go that way. So here's the scene, in case you haven't seen the movie. And even if you have, I'll just remind you of the the scene I'm talking about. Morpheus is a mysterious character who wears really great sunglasses, and he's got an even greater voice. And all we really know about him at this point in the movie that we're talking about is that he's a big deal. Is he a good guy or a bad guy? We're not sure. Meeting him is the main character, Mr. Anderson, who calls himself Neo. Neo is like a deer in headlights in this scene. A group of strangers have brought him to meet this Morpheus, and Neo has no idea who the people are who have brought him here. He has no idea where they're taking him. He really has no idea who Morpheus even is. But as they start talking at this meeting, Morpheus eventually presents Neo with a choice. In one hand is a simple blue pill. In the other is a red pill. And Morpheus says, take the blue pill, and the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. Take the red pill, and you stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. So movie critics and theologians have had a lot to say about this scene. That blue pill, one thing I read, it said, it represents a beautiful prison. Take that pill and be led back to blissful ignorance. You won't have to be challenged by uncomfortable truths. Your pleasures and power won't be inconvenienced by eye-opening revelations. Take the blue pill, and did you hear the end of it? You get to believe whatever you want to believe. Sounds pretty good, actually, doesn't it? I mean, I hear that it leads to prison. I hear that, but it's beautiful. I hear that it keeps me ignorant but blissful. I don't have to be challenged. My pleasure and my power can remain intact. Okay. I get to believe what I want to believe. Like, aren't these all the things we're supposed to be living for? (laughs) Aren't these the things we're supposed to be fighting for? Bliss, beauty, pleasure, power, my beliefs. These are the kinds of things we're told to chase for a lifetime as we pursue the American dream, right? So why in the world would I not take the blue pill? The only thing the red pill offers is the truth. Like, has anybody considered whether maybe it's better to just live in the lies? 
I know that sounds bad, but it's actually a real question. I'm not just setting this all up to make the choice really obvious, because it's not obvious. There seem to be some really redeeming qualities to that blue pill. This moment is the best spot in the movie to pause and to consider, what would I do? So here's the Lent question, what do you do? Because we can't possibly pretend that we don't face this choice often. We take lots of blue pills to remain blissfully ignorant. Like, I don't really want to know everything about how my food gets to the table. I'm just going to be honest. I take the blue pill on that one. Or how my clothes got made. Do I really want to know how old the manufacturers of my clothes are or how much they didn't get paid also that I can buy my 30th t-shirt that almost always remains in my closet? Do many of us dive deep into climate change, allowing that research and knowledge and our own experience of a changing climate to affect our driving habits or how warm we heat our home? Blue pill, thank you. I know it comes off as political to some of us that Pastor Karen and I so often speak of the issues surrounding race and gender identity and sexual orientation. We hear that. We do. But we bring these concerns up because when we all keep taking the blue pill on these issues, because we'd rather not be challenged here at church too. We've got enough challenge in our lives, I know. But when the church keeps taking the blue pill on these issues, people get hurt. At our most recent Reconciling in Christ meeting this past week, Pastor Libby said she thinks about our welcome, because that's what the whole project is about. What does all our welcome really mean? And what words and actions will we use to be welcoming? She said she thinks of it all in terms of harm or healing. Our welcome can continue the work of harming or start a process of healing. Because the facts are that many people name the church as a source of harm for them, a place where they've been judged to be sinful, labeled an abomination, dehumanized, and lifted up as an example of bad. So we could, here at First Lutheran, remain on the side of lots of other churches in our area who just take the blue pill on that question, who continue to read Scripture as though God hates people and desires their eternal punishment. We could continue to stay silent on racial issues because it's not like we have to concern ourselves with all this sensitive stuff. It would be easier to just go for that blue pill on all this controversial stuff and remain unchallenged, a position that just happens to harm people, like really harm them, elevating levels of depression and suicide and self-loathing and all kinds of measurable and immeasurable harm. We could just keep on choosing the blue pill or... We could make our church's welcome so big, so bold, so thoughtful, and I would argue so faithful that our family of faith could be a family who contributes toward the healing God is interested in. Harm or healing. I think that's a good insight into what drives me to talk about things that honestly make my life more difficult because it makes some of you upset, and I don't want you to be upset. <laughs> I don't want any of us to leave this church for another church all because of issues we couldn't figure out how to talk through because we don't want to have to talk about it. More than not wanting to 
cause any discomfort or upset. I don't want the church I serve to harm anyone. It seemed like a pretty simple choice when I first described it, didn't it? Blue pill or red pill? Turns out it's not so simple. The blue pill and the red pill offer very different lives. Makes for a very different church experience. Here's the good news today. Jesus knows all about it. The choices, the truth, and the consequences of each. Not saying Jesus has seen the movie, necessarily. But he certainly knows all about the temptation to use his privilege as the Son of God to serve himself. That's what the first temptation is all about. We're told Jesus is famished, not just hungry, beyond hungry. So the devil's like, you are the Son of God. Serve yourself. You can. Why would you not? And Jesus knows all about the temptation to use his privilege as Son of God to gain influence and fame. This temptation, instead of satisfying his belly, would serve to satisfy his ego. And then the third temptation is to use his privilege as Son of God to put God the Father on trial. You know, jump off the pinnacle of the temple to test God. Show that what Scripture says is true, that he will command his angels concerning you. As if, and if God fails to help out, well, then you'll be the one, Jesus. People will be worshiping higher than God. But Jesus says, no, that would be putting God to the test. And Scripture's not there to evoke doubt about God. Like, okay, Scripture says it, but let's make God prove it. It's not, oh, will God live up to God's promises? Scripture's there to proclaim, without having to prove it all over again, that that's what God does, is makes promises and then keeps them. God is to be trusted, not tested. That's the point. To the second temptation, Jesus says, no, fame and authority, those are idols people chase. They're false. Only God is to be worshipped. And that first temptation, maybe that's the hardest one, because he's hungry. Have you ever tried not to eat when you're really hungry? But he knows he's not the Son of God in order to serve himself or his own needs. He was born and lives to die and rise. Jesus knows who he is. He knows why he's here, and he knows how to use his power. That's what all these temptations from our text today, that's what they're all about. How will Jesus use his power? We wonder uh, about this question with world leaders, right? Like, all the world is asking, how will Vladimir Putin use his power? He could use it to take, he could use it to destroy, he could use it to heal, if he so chose. Same with our own leaders. We wonder that. Same with your boss, your teacher, if you go to school. Parents have this power. In fact, we all do. You know, with my kids, I can either take hope from them or I can give love and mercy to them. Wherever you have power, if it's in a friendship, a marriage, at work, as you play, as you use money, how you treat your neighbor, when you're an insider and you see someone on the outside, none of us has the power to declare war on another nation, but in our own little corners of the world, I can take, I can destroy, I can heal. How will Jesus use his power? Not to serve himself, 
not to become simply an influencer that's famous, and not to put God the Father on trial. Jesus will use His power to be the truth. On the cross, dying innocently, having never chosen a blue pill, having never remained content with easy lies, having never compromised with the devil, having always been brave enough to love even the most unlovable ones, tax collectors, lepers, people that are really hard to love. Jesus uses His power to not just pursue the truth, His grace, mercy, and love is the truth. You, disciple of Jesus, were baptized into that truth. Some people say that filled with the Holy Spirit, we Christians are then put on a fast track to prosperity. Guardian angels look out for us more than other people. God elects us as though we're more worthy than other people. Believe hard enough. Believe right enough. And you'll have health, wealth, and happiness. But here in Luke 4, we see what being filled with the Spirit really means. What being baptized into the truth that is Jesus really does. Because it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. Remember John the Baptist, after being filled with the Spirit, same phrase, was also taken to the wilderness, and that's where his ministry of repentance happened. We might have this image in our head that filled with the Spirit leads to some guru in a prayer pose on a beautiful mountain during sunset, but Scripture paints a picture of full of the Spirit leading simply to truth. And time and time again, truth is experienced in the wilderness. Not always a pretty place. A place oftentimes full of challenge, full of discomfort. Not in a beautiful prison. The wilderness is where blissful ignorance goes to die. Where my pleasure and power become meaningless and empty. Baptized into Jesus, into the truth, we individually and as a community are equipped to live beyond the constant choice of blue pill or red pill. We don't have to get twisted up in which ones are to be welcomed and which ones are to be excluded. Have I done enough? Have you done enough? Have we done enough? Are we right? Who's wrong? Filled with the Spirit, Jesus lives beyond choices that lead to life or death. Filled with the Spirit, Jesus just lives and keeps on living beyond His own death even. And here's the best news. Filled with the Spirit, so do we. Today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Thanks be to God. Amen.